Hey you, welcome to today's episode of Under the Rug. I'm your host, Nalini Tranquim. Can I just say wow? This series, The Church Behind the Curtain, has been nothing short of a whirlwind. I had someone reach out to me this week to say that this series has opened up a can of worms. (laughs) I like worms. I mean, I don't actually, but hey, if pulling this matter out from under the rug sheds light and brings healing, then surely it's been worth it, right? In this, our final episode from Hurting to Healing, I am encouraged and I want you to be also. God does not leave his precious children on the roadside after they have experienced a hit and run for them to live stranded and bewildered for the rest of their lives. No, he comes back to the scene. He extends his mighty hand and he brings healing and restoration in the shadow of his wings. He also whispers in your ear, vengeance is mine. You see, you don't have to carry the burden of the past. Bring it before Jesus, lay it at his feet, forgive those who have hurt you and move forward with the calling that God has placed upon your life. He will guide, he will lead. Okay, let's get into it. Welcome back to the final segment of today's Under the Rug podcast. So we've covered quite a lot of ground today. While I don't want it to be all doom and gloom, I do think it's important to quickly go into the ramifications of the abuse you experienced in the church leading into the next church that you found yourself in. How did the impact of all those years of being ran through the gutter affect your perception of the church? And how did it impact on you, be it positively or negatively, on the preceding church experience you've come to have? I was extremely hesitant about simply walking back in. Now, obviously, I knew this is a completely new country, new congregation, new leaders. Um, So, of course, wanted to go. But I knew very early on that my walls were up. Right. But... I I was broken. Like I was a mess. I didn't know who I was, let alone who I was as a mother, as a wife again, who I was outside of my position as a worship leader. You know, like my whole identity I felt had been stripped from me because my identity at that point in time was in my position, Mm. you know? And so it was a, it felt like it was a stripping away of, everything where I was now left bare. Like this is the raw gravitas of Nalini now, you know, that remains. And I had no idea what those remnants actually were. Right. You know, we did start attending the band practices and, you know, I was asked to speak a couple of times and, you know, there's obviously a lot of love and a lot of passion for the church that just exudes out of us irrespective of what's going on internally. Mm. And I think the pastors picked up on that really, really quickly because, you know, I remember the pastor's wife approaching me and saying, look, we would love you to take over the worship team. Oh my gosh. I just, I fled, unfortunately. And I, I am sad that that was my reaction And I remember actually, because I was working for a company at that time, um, I remember actually going to the office on the Monday and being 
just besides myself that our church pastor had asked me to take over the running of the worship band because of what we had come out of and, you know, quite openly sharing with my non-Christian colleague, you know, just how nervous I was at the thought of taking up that kind of position again and how I felt like I was being cornered. Yeah. And I was questioning her, the pastor's motives, you know, why does he want me in this position? And am I just going to end up putting myself right back in that abusive, toxic environment that we have fled to another country for? Right. And so I, I ran a mile. I was like, I, I do not want to have anything to do with this. I didn't have the guts to tell the pastor no. Mm-hmm. I just didn't respond to any of her questions, any of her messages, any of her reachings out. I I stayed very, very well, you know, at hand's length. Mm. I actually, I didn't go back to, I did not go back to worship directing. Yeah. I I couldn't. Mm. Not until years later where I then um, joined the worship team just as a member you know, very much in the background, never put myself forward as a leader, Mm. just stayed in the background, you know, almost tried purposefully to kind of diminish what I could bring to the table so that I wasn't ever put in that position to be asked, would you take ownership of this and run it? Yeah, because your passion and calling had just kind of turned into a set of handcuffs for you almost. Yeah. Um, So you kind of go into self-protect mode. Trying to hide hide your talents and make sure that. No one's yes. able to abuse you So that you, you can't them. see me, so then you can't abuse me. Right, right. Yeah, that is unfortunate because I think, once again, that's something so many people go through. Yeah. So many people get stung by the church, get yeah. abused by the leadership, and you go and ask them, you know, why is it that you don't so utilize your you, talents yeah. in church? and. It wouldn't surprise me to know that the majority of the time you get half-hearted answers of, oh, you know. Yes, absolutely. Because how do you respond to when you're asked that question? You know, why aren't you bringing your gifts and your talents to the table? Because you've got so much to bring. How do you then say to this new pastor in front of you, I mean, dude, I've been abused so badly in the church. If I get back up and start serving in your church, I could end up falling into that very same trap of abuse. No. At this point in time, if a pastor were to approach you regarding seeking you out as a worship leader or an influencer or something or other, and you felt apprehensive, but you felt confident enough to give him a direct answer, what would you say? What would be something that other creatives or other people in your shoes could say that simultaneously effectively communicates the message of I've had my wings clipped in the past. Yeah. But also indicates to them that, look, I'm still passionate about the church. Yeah. Yeah. I think the answer would be twofold. I think it depends on the individual. If being approached again to be a part of the worship team is part and parcel of that individual's calling going forward. And they felt that, yes, this is very much in alignment with where I am heading in my calling, but was hesitant in the moment. 
I would say, can you give me some time to think about it? Yeah. Give me some time to think and pray about it and I'll get back to you. Mm. Um, I am confident enough to say that. And I believe that the leader would also be respectful enough to understand that, you know, and to agree to that. If, however, you felt strongly and there was no hesitation whatsoever, yes, it's time for me to pick up this baton again and I need to plug in and get involved, 100% do it. Go for it. Because we cannot be judging our new leaders based on our previous leaders' actions. Mm. That's unfair, right? Yeah. Trust that the Lord is going to give you that discernment and that wisdom and that clarity to know if things shift, oh, okay, this is heading down the same rabbit hole as previously. I need to get out before it gets any worse. Yeah. Okay. But to refuse to get back up again and allow the rest of your life to be robbed of the opportunity to give and to utilize your gifts and your skills and your talents that God has bestowed upon you to bring to the house to edify the body because of one man or one woman. Oh my gosh, that's, that would be devastating. That would be devastating, not only to you and to your own growth, but to the church. Like the church ultimately then is going to miss out. You see, and I think that's where I come in, right, is, is my heart is the ripple effect of one man's actions yeah. can be so catastrophic yeah. down the line for generations. Mm. Because then what happens is, is you end up with a mom and dad who now raise their children. We don't go to church. We don't believe in church. Why? They won't open up to their kids about the why. But if we were to delve into that, they're backstabbers, they're narcissistic, they're abusive, yeah. don't want to go there. No, we don't believe in God. There is no such thing as a God because if there was, he wouldn't allow me to go through that. Yeah, but hang on. I went through it and I learned a hell of a lot. Mm. And I think it's brought to the surface that this is something that needs to be addressed. We, the church who is made up of us, need to own that we, the church, have stuffed up. Yeah. You know, we are broken. We are messed up individuals. And some of us are narcissistic. And we need to deal with that narcissistic shite, you know, like go and get counseling, go and see a psychologist and deal with that. Mm -hmm. You know, um, it's time for us to, yeah, not put a bandaid on these things or brush them under the rug and hope that they're just going to go away because what it's doing is, is it's defaming the church. Yeah. One thing, actually, before you go to the next question that I have realized is that passage that talks about the harvest being plentiful, but the laborers being few. I know where the laborers are few. It's because they're broken and they're hurt. And they've been left like it's as if they've experienced a spiritual hit and run. Yep. And the culprits just disappeared off into the sunset to their next victim. Mm -hmm. And they've been left spinning on the road in that place of limbo, don't know what now. Mm -hmm. That's why the labor is a few. Yeah. You know, so that's really the purpose of this conversation is to say, come on, come on, it's time to get back up now. We cannot stay broken and damaged on the roadside because of one man's actions. Yeah. But then my journey of healing, oh, that took time. Like that took time. At first I had to, 
I first had to get to that revelation that this was abuse. And then I had to that, come to that point of forgiveness. Yeah. You know, I had to forgive the perpetrators from the bottom of my heart. I'm not going to carry their shite with me for the rest of my life. I've got to let go. I've got to forgive and let go. I've got to forgive myself for the things I blamed myself for. Yeah. You know, and kind of start again. And then what's next? Well, then now start getting back up. Yeah. Plant yourself in the house of God again. Mm. Don't put your walls up. Don't be the one standing at the back of the auditorium with your arms folded. I get that. I've been there myself. Get involved. Bring your gifts to the table to edify the body of Christ. But this time, you know different. Um, Maybe this seems like a bit of a funny, oddball question to throw after having given a bit of a slam down to church leadership in general. But what is a pastor to do if allegiances form in his congregation or in his leadership with the plan to try and take things down and to undo the systems that are in place? Yeah. Not out of a sense of wanting positive reform, because that would come about through inclusive communication, but rather behind the scenes. Yes. How can we okay. undermine this? I will go back to that passage when I painted the picture of King Saul, who at that point in time had turned against God, all right, and he became a threat to David. And David chose to flee. David chose to run. There was an opportune time for David to kill Saul. But he received that word from the Lord, which is, that one that says, the Lord forbid that I should do this thing to my master, the Lord's anointed to stretch out my hand against him, seeing he is the anointed of the Lord. So for those who do um, pledge allegiances with those who are bringing divisiveness and destruction and want to tear down what the leaders are trying to build, that is rebellion now against the Lord's anointed. Gosh, that's a very dangerous place to be in. Mm. Okay, extremely dangerous. Uh, what does um, the word say about rebellion? Well, rebellion is like divination. It is like witchcraft. Okay. 1 Samuel 15 um, speaks clearly about this. When the prophet Samuel was actually speaking to Saul, he said, for rebellion is as the sin of witchcraft and stubbornness is as iniquity and idolatry. Okay, so your question is, all right, so then what does the pastor do then when this is what's happening in the undercurrent of his church? Well, what do you do when a brother sins against you? Because this is sinning against you, right? Well, Matthew 18 is clear on that. I'll just read this to you. Matthew 18 from verse 15, it says, if your brother sins, go and show him his fault in private. So pull that individual aside and have a private conversation. If he listens and pays attention to you, you have won back your brother. Yay, battle won. But if he does not listen, take along with you one or two others so that every word may be confirmed by the testimony of two or three witnesses. If he pays no attention to them, yeah, refusing to listen and obey, tell it to the church. And if he refuses to listen even to the church, 
let him be to you as a Gentile and a tax collector. I assure you and most solemnly say to you, whatever you bind, forbid, declare to be improper and unlawful on earth, shall have already be bound in heaven. And whatever you, whatever you loose, permit, declare lawful on earth, shall have already been loosed in heaven. So for me, it's that black and white. You cannot allow this kind of behavior to continue to permeate and to brew because what's it going to do? It's like a fly in the perfume. It is going to eventually affect the whole perfume. All right. It is extremely dangerous. So then what I'll do is, is I will ask the pastor that very same question that you actually asked me earlier. Would you say that by staying at the church for the duration of the abuse, you are actually enabling the abuse. Yeah. Well, I will ask the pastor who submits this question, would you say that by tolerating the toxicity of those who are building alliances to take down the church leadership, you are inadvertently enabling their rebellion? Hell yeah. Absolutely. So this is now on the pastor. You've got some decisions to make here and you've got some conversations to be had because that has to be cut, right? Yeah. A tree is known by its fruit. And what do we do with our fruit trees? We prune, we cut off those branches that are not bearing healthy fruit. Yeah. And that's important. I think for many pastors to know as well, I think one thing a lot of people don't realize is the failure rate for church planting is very high, very high. And it's, it, it's of no surprise when you take a look at the amount of hours that pastors need to put in to sustain churches, especially when they're on the up and coming. Yeah. You know, 80 hour work weeks aren't outside the scope of common. Yeah. Um, and yeah, this whole, the whole situation of the church now, it's a culmination of these multiple different factors. You know, it's the abuse in the leadership, but it's also the leadership being abused by allegiances and by division. And ultimately I feel like uh, the stories that you're going to unravel with this podcast, uh, the stories that you've got of your own to talk about. And there are many more that we haven't had time to discuss today. um, are really going to highlight the importance of that unity between all levels of the church. Yes. From the congregation to the ushers, to the leadership, to the pastors, to the elders, everybody involved needs to be unified under one solid righteous conviction. There can't be any division. And we need to make sure that nobody's exiting through the back door. And I think that you're going to be able to illustrate that beautifully uh, through some of the stories that you've got to tell. And I'm very excited to see those. Um, Thank you. And I'm very thankful that you take the time out of your busy schedule. Thank you have this little meeting. I think this is going to be invaluable for a lot of people. Yeah, I believe that too. I absolutely believe that. And I think if anything, I just want to leave um, the listener with is, and especially like, you know, church leaders and, and members as well, is having these conversations are so important. I think sometimes um, shepherds of flocks have the same Um, mindset as parents of small children, where all you want to do is protect them, you know, from the vicious foxes and anything that could come and 
kill, steal, and destroy. And you just want to protect them. And so you even protect them from exposing them to these kind of truths. The problem with that is you then have these little sheep or these little children or these young adults or these congregations who have got no idea what's going on on the outskirts of their little bubbles. You know, they're comfortable little bubbles. Right. So they could very well be listening in to those toxic conversations of those who are trying to pull the leadership down and be completely oblivious because they're such lovely people. They're so well esteemed in the church, you know, so anything they say must be gold. And so we're then not equipping our flock, our people with the resources and the tools to be able to identify the schemers, to be able to identify the narcissists right? Until it's too late. And we're already in the fox's mouth, wiggling our way out, you know, desperately trying to wiggle our way out. So I think if anything, what I want to leave people with today is let's start having these conversations, even with our church people, you know, our, our connect groups, our leadership meetings, our church gatherings, you know, at, at coffee after church, let's have these conversations. If we keep brushing them under the rug, we're not doing any good by our people to equip them and prepare them for the schemes of the enemy. You know, I think that's probably the one thing I want to leave people with today is these conversations are necessary. I think you've yeah. hit the nail on the head. So thank you for your time, Ramon for joining us. I've loved your questions. I'm actually curious to interview you one day as to how it was for you watching your mum, even as a child, you know, and, and listening to the conversations between dad and I, you know, at home outside of church and then your observations of church. I'm really, I think that would be a really interesting angle as well. Cause you were brought up in all of this. Like you lived all of this, yeah. obviously a very young child at the time, but I think you probably retained a lot as well. So I think that's also a conversation for another time. Anyway, everyone, thank you so much for your time. Thank you for joining us. I hope this has been invaluable to you. I hope it's shed some light, but also maybe peeled away a plaster, maybe, hey, from a wound that you may be carrying. So if anything we've touched on today has touched you, um, you want to maybe grab my book, you know, you can do that on the website. I'll make sure the link is in my uh, description of today's episode. All right. I love you. I'll talk to you soon. Thank you for joining us. My prayer for you is that this series will rekindle a flame or even ignite a fire within you because God is restoring his church. Jesus is coming back for his pure and spotless bride and there is work to be done. It's time to rebuild what has been broken. It's time to restore what has been stolen. It's time to be vigilant and alert, to work out our salvation, to separate truth from lies, to be discerning of the times, to prune that which is dead in order to bring forth life. John 10.10 reads, The thief does not come except to steal and to kill and to destroy. I have come that they may have life and that they may have it more abundantly. If you're in the aftermath of a painful journey, come and join me for Ripple of Revival, an online gathering of worship, word, prayer, and prophecy. Come and experience a fresh touch from heaven. 
If you haven't grabbed a copy of my book, The Orange Hue, get it now. It's available in paperback, ebook, and audio. I know it will stir your heart afresh. And if you want something more, something that you can sink your teeth into to help you on your journey to healing, I have put together a free webinar called Three Steps to Shift from Insecure to Confident. Until we awaken confidence within us again, we will simply continue to sit on the sidelines. It's time to get back up, dust off the dirt, and keep on going. Now to him who is able to do exceedingly abundantly above all that we ask or think, according to the power that works in us, to him be the glory in the church by Christ Jesus to all generations forever and ever. Amen. I love you. Keep pressing forward. Don't look back. And oh Lord, hasten the day when we will be united in glory with you.